Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Grace Anglican Church of Grove City, Pennsylvania. Our goal in every sermon is to proclaim the bold truth of the Word of God, especially the undiluted grace of Jesus Christ. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website at graceanglicanonline.com. So in our gospel lesson, we have a parable of Jesus, and then we have Jesus' explanation of that parable which is quite helpful for you, for anyone who is preaching, um, because we have Jesus's explanation, so you kind of don't need mine. Um, and I would highly recommend going with Jesus's anyways, even if I offered mine. But So we have the, this parable and this explanation, and, um, and, and for, for this evening... In this homily, I, I don't want to go into just breaking down the passage. I do that, did that more this morning, but instead just want to look at a few contextual um, facts about this passage and then reflect on some things that we learn from the passage. I think it's important to understand the passage in its context, to understand what Jesus is doing with this parable. Before leading into the parable, Matthew gives a contextual clue. He says, on that same day, if you follow that day back, it takes you the whole way back to the beginning of chapter 12. It was a day that was quite eventful. I mean, earlier on in the day, Jesus was criticized and ridiculed and accused of breaking and disobeying the Sabbath. Then, After that, Jesus and the disciples became aware that the respected religious leaders, the pious people of the area, were conspiring against Jesus to destroy him. And then on that same day, the religious leaders essentially claimed that Jesus was a minion of Satan. wasn't one of the most encouraging days of ministry. Um, and as the disciples would have been in the context of that day, they had to have been thinking in their mind, he's the Messiah. He said he's coming proclaiming the message, the good news of the kingdom of God. This kingdom that was going to break forth with power. it sure don't look like it's producing a whole lot. And in the midst of, of that maybe disappointment or struggle, they're, they're in the situation like any, any gardener would be in whenever you sow seed and then you plant the seed and you're excited for the seed to grow and you're imagining all the different things that are going to be produced from that seed and then a month later, there's luscious garden filled with weeds and ain't no plants that you planted. And so you ask the question, Is there something wrong with the soil or is there something wrong with the seed? And see, in this context, I think that Jesus is speaking to that and using agricultural imagery to depict the mystery of the propagation of the word of the kingdom. And he reveals through this parable that this word of the kingdom, 
this gospel. That even though it may not appear to be producing what had been anticipated at the moment, the issue is not with the seed. It's the soil and the opposition surrounding it. But then, as you see at the end of the parable and in Jesus' explanation, that even though it may appear to not be producing what was anticipated and expected, there's nothing wrong with the seed because when the seed falls on good soil, it produces an abundant harvest. It yields more than the disciples could have ever anticipated. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. But as we look at this this parable, there's a lot that you can draw from it and a lot that it speaks to. But I, I think its primary concern is how the word of the kingdom or the gospel spreads and takes root. So I want to give just a few reflections drawn from this parable regarding the propagation of the gospel. And I want to do so by offering, looking at something that we can gain from the soil, something revealed by the seed, and something revealed by the sower. So first, the soil. In verse 19, we see a little key insight into what the soil represents. Because in verse 19, he's talking about the seed that was scattered on the the compacted soil, the, the soil that was hardened by the path and it doesn't take root. But when he speaks about that seed that was so, sown onto that soil, he then uses the language to say that it is the word that was sown into the heart. That these different soils, three of which are bad and do not produce life, and one of which that produces abundance, are tied to this idea of the heart of man. This is also made clear in Luke's account and recording of Jesus' explanation, where at the end of Jesus' explanation, Luke includes Jesus stating that the good soil represents the one who hears the word and understands out of a good heart. And see, as we look at this and this idea of this soil and then this idea of the heart of man, it also then draws us back to imagery that these different pictures point us back to. So Jesus wasn't just trying to connect to an agrarian culture. He was using particular images that are found weaved throughout the Old Testament. Images within the prophetic literature that pointed to the hope of God's coming redemption and the establishment of His kingdom. And in those Old Testament imagery, we see a depiction of God promising to be the one who will come and plow the hardened fields. That God was going to till up the land and remove the stones. That God was going to remove the thorns and spread new seed that it would take root. And these imageries were were tied to these promises. These promises that God says that He will circumcise the heart of man. That God will write His law upon the heart of stone. That God would take the heart of stone and make our hearts flesh. You see, 
as we read these passages, it can sometimes be disheartening because one, we see that there are three bad and only one good soil. And then you have to ask the question of what if you're the bad soil? Or what if my, my neighbor's a bad soil? And I know my coworker's a bad soil because he's definitely a Jaggerfield soil. You know what I mean? Like, and we look at all these different things, wondering and worrying about it, but the reality is, is that you shouldn't worry because we were all the bad soil. We're all dead. Hearts disposed in opposition to God. But see, the beauty is, is that not only is God the one who provides the seed, He is also the one who is tilling the soil so that that bad, rocky soil, that thorn-infested soil, that soil that's been so compacted that it's so hard that the seed won't even take root, will be tilled up and cultivated and prepared so that then whenever that seed is received, it will take root and it will flourish. And so... As we reflect on the soil and the propagation of the gospel, it's important for us to remember as we go and we spread the gospel abroad, as much as we want to just turn to, to approach and techniques, trying to refine things to make it work better, having better arguments or anything else, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But I can tell you one thing, if the soil ain't prepared, it don't matter how good of techniques you got, and it doesn't matter how brilliant of arguments you can come up with. It should remind us, as Paul commanded young Timothy in the spreading of the gospel, that he commanded Timothy to pray for all people that they might be saved. For God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge, or can be translated, understanding of the truth. See, as we carry forth, propagate the gospel, let us not forget that that ought to be accompanied with fervent and vigorous prayer. Praying to the Lord that he might cultivate the soil. That the seed would not be lost to rocks and thorns, but it would land on fertile land. So something about the soil and something I think we gain from the seed. If you look at this parable, you have four different soils, three bad, one good. But as you have all these different differences that you can see throughout these, these scenarios, there's, there's a constant fit throughout it. And the constant is the seed. Seed never changes up. It's all the same seed. And even though in three of the examples, the seed doesn't produce... In the good soil, it produces an immense yield. And Jesus in this is telling them, don't lose heart. This is good seed. Even if it doesn't appear to be producing. And see, I think the problem happens is that whenever, whenever, whenever a seed isn't producing, when we're gardening, I mean, we can ask the question of whether or not the soil is good, but it's a lot of hard work to cultivate soil, and sometimes it will take years to restore that soil. So the easiest and quickest answer that we often tend to do is go out and buy a new strain of seed. Maybe these tomatoes will grow. Or if you got the technology, then maybe you'll just genetically modify that seed so that it'll just grow in bad soil. If you remember, the issue is not the seed. We have to remember that no matter how opposed our culture might seem, 
no matter how fruitless at the moment things may appear to be, we are not to go out and adopt some new strain of the gospel. We have no right to modify the core DNA of God's word so that we can get more results. And let me clue you on something. Even when we try to, we still don't get results anyways. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't seek to proclaim the gospel more persuasively or with greater clarity in our context. But the seed, the unchangeable message of the gospel is perfect and fruitful. Hence, it must not be replaced or altered because from our perspective, it isn't producing as expected in the current environment. So we have the soil, we have the seed, and finally, I think something we get from the sower. In verse 18, Jesus calls this parable the parable of the sower. It's not the parable of the soil, even though some translations put that above the passage. It's the parable of the sower. And I think in context, the the sower is, is Jesus. Because he is the one who came initially with the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, the message that was spreading. But if you think about it, and if you know, the wheat that grows from the seed that was sown will soon be sowing the same seed as soon as the wind blows. Wind or the pneuma in Greek, which means wind or spirit. Y'all supposed to be blown away. Like, I thought that was really good. Yeah, I don't know. But <laughs> but see, as those who are a product of the message sown, we too then become sowers of the message. And as we look at the sower in this parable, you will notice that this sower sows the seed liberally and indeterminately. Like, this sower is not a modern farmer using a GPS-guided seed drilling machine to make sure that it's placed precisely where it needs to be placed. He's just throwing it out everywhere. And this this sower isn't sitting around analyzing and making sure, that, that looks like rocky soil, that looks like hard soil, that looks like thorny soil, that looks like good soil. No, he's just throwing the seed out. And in the same way, as those who have been entrusted with the the gospel word, we are to sow liberally. It is not our job to sit and analyze the heart soil of all the people around us, trying to determine where it's worth throwing or where it ain't worth throwing. We are called to spread forth the gospel message that brings life indeterminately and liberally wherever it may fall. So to bring it together like the sower We are to broadcast the message of the gospel liberally, not analyzing people trying to determine what type of soil they may be. And we do this with certainty and assurance that the seed we are spreading, the gospel we are propagating, has within it all that is necessary for true life, leading to maturity and fruitfulness, even when it may appear to continually come back void. Remembering that there are many forces opposed to the germination of the gospel, And ultimately, its ability to take root in the heart of man depends on the gracious work of God. And just as this parable gave encouragement to the disciples when the gospel appeared to not be received as they they anticipated, we too should be encouraged. We shouldn't lose heart. 
when our son or daughter seems too caught up in the cares of the world for the gospel to take any root. When our spouse has become so hardened that any mention seems like it's falling on deaf ears. When loved ones and friends and neighbors and co-workers our community, our neighborhood, when we read statistics about the gospel growth and the growth of Christianity in America, when we see all of these things that can be so discouraging, we need to be encouraged so that we would not be discouraged but instead continue sowing liberally and praying fervently, certain that we are broadcasting good seed. And by grace, our God is tilling the soil. And I think we can do this with anticipatory hope, knowing that once the gospel truly takes root, it will not be scorched, choked, or taken away by anything, causing us to be revived and empowered to generously sow the gospel of grace while continually praying that God might break up the hardened soil, removing the rocks and thorns to cultivate an arable heart, ready to receive the life-giving word of the kingdom confident in the fact that the gospel is a powerful and productive seed and our gracious and almighty God is diligently preparing the soil, even when at the moment it appears it is only falling on, falling on infertile ground. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They could not take your